Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. The Holy Spirit says today through John Mark, and Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, with what shall I compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which was sown on the ground. It's the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out, the, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You may be seated. What is your favorite Disney movie? I don't want to hear any political junk right now. What's your favorite? I grew up during the Disney Renaissance before they went off the rails, uh, where some of the greatest Disney movies of our lifetime were released. The Lion King, Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and The Rescuers Down Under. Do you remember your first time going to Disney? This, this week, uh, I took the kids there, and my kids said, well, you remember the first time you went? And I said, yes, I was eight years old. My parents planned this trip for an entire year, and they were so excited. I was so excited. I still remember that trip to this day, and my parents, 30 years later, are still paying for that trip to this day. What separates Disney from all other companies uh, is their stories, the stories that they tell through animation. A lot of their stories aren't original stories, but yet they bring those stories into life. Uh, Bob Iger, the former CEO of Disney, in his book, The Ride of a Lifetime, I would commend that to you, uh, talks about when he started in 2005 and Disney was tanking uh, in the em- uh, animations department. Uh, can you remember great movies uh, from the early 2000s from Disney? I can't either. 
and so Disney had an opportunity uh, to uh, to buy Pixar from Steve Jobs, and so uh, Bob Iger was trying to convince the board uh, that they needed to fix their animations department. And so he spoke to the board, and he said this: He says, "As Disney animation goes, so goes the company." It was true in 1937 with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and in 1994 with The Lion King and is no less true today. When animation soars, Disney soars. And that's true. And they bought Pixar and the rest is history and toy stories. And then they ended up buying Star Wars. And all of us are, are just so drawn to the stories. And, and, and the reason why they've been so successful, again, this isn't political, but the reason why they've been so successful is because of their stories. Stories capture our attention. Stories captivate our minds. And the Disney stories often take us to a distant land. That's why most Disney movies start giving you a picture of a magic kingdom, a place where people live happily ever after. And the reason why we are drawn to those stories is that those stories are a mere shadow of the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of God. And they point us to the ultimate king, King Jesus. And King Jesus came to this earth as we have walked through Mark's gospel to proclaim, to share the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And he has done that through telling stories. Jesus's stories, these parables are illustrations. They are descriptions of the kingdom. The first century Jew in Jesus's day was longing for the kingdom. Uh, because they were under Roman tyranny and they were living under oppression and they longed for a kingdom to come. They were looking for a king to return, to expand the kingdom and to bring prosperity to God's people and to put down their enemies. And so Jesus comes and his, his message that a kingdom was coming was captivating in their hearts. And he showed them through his miracles, the inbreaking of the kingdom on earth. And, and, and thousands of people were clamoring just to hear Jesus and see Jesus and to experience Jesus. And yet as Jesus spoke about the kingdom what he said wasn't exactly what they expected. It was pretty confusing. The kingdom of God is like a man sowing seeds and the kingdom of God's like a lamp. The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. And what Jesus is doing is rather than giving us a succinct definition of the kingdom, he was giving us a picture, a story, an illustration to describe the kingdom. Why? Because some things are just too big to define with one sentence. It would be like you defining your relationship with your spouse. It, it cannot just be defined in one sentence. It's often through multiple words and multiple stories to describe the love of your spouse. And so Jesus here is describing the kingdom and he does it through these stories, these parables, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so Jesus is going to continue to teach us in parables. And so in these parables, what we're going to see is an upside down kingdom. And this upside down kingdom is going to tell us that it's not about what you get, but it's about what you use. 
It's going to tell us it's not about what you do, but who you work for. And it's not just what you see, but how you see it. And we're going to see this in these parables. So let's, let's unpack that. Number one, the kingdom is not just what you get, but it's what you use. Verse 21 is a lamp brought into be put under a basket or under a bed. Uh, this would have been unheard of, uh, but this was also a part of daily ordinary life. I mean, Jesus here was describing the light switch and the light bulb for us today. Something that everyone in that day used as a common normal thing, oil lamps, was something that when Jesus says this question, it was somewhat rhetorical. Do you put a lamp out to, do you put a, do you light a lamp to put it under a basket or do you light a lamp to put it out for everyone to see? And the answer is you don't put it under a basket. You don't put it under a bed. You put it out so that everyone can see so that the light would flood the room, fill the room with light. And so that's his illustration. And so Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like an oil lamp. That is, it's not some hidden secret society. It's not some sort of Gnostic cult. It is a good news message that is meant to go out into the streets. It's not a secret to be hidden, but a story to be shared. And so he continues in verse 22 by talking about that nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. This is a proverb in Jesus's day that those things that we think are hidden are going to be revealed. That which is once concealed is going to be revealed. And what reveals it, it's the light of the kingdom. And it's been said, you probably heard this, that sunlight is the best antiseptic. Well, just as that proverb is used in our day, so this proverb was used in Jesus's day. But what he's saying here is that the light of the kingdom reveals hidden things and exposes dark things. And so it reveals the children of light and it reveals the children of darkness. It, it takes things that have been hidden forever, the truths of God, and reveals them so people can see. And so Jesus says the kingdom is not something, the stories of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is not something that you hide, but it's something that you share. And so verse 23, he says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. If you can hear me, if you can understand me, listen up. So there he switches gears and now he goes to another parable in verse 24 in which he says, pay attention to what you hear. That is, here's your warning. And here's what he says. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, accidentally, when I was reading that text, I said what the literal in the Greek said, which is this, the measure that you measure will be measured against you or will be measured. And so what does he mean? He talks about lights. Now he's talking about a measure. Well, we're listening like, well, what does that have to do? Measure was a term in the marketplace, which basically was a scale. And it was you put stuff in the scale and it would determine the value of the product. And so the best way I can illustrate this is through going to Publix. And so, you know, a lot of middle school kids and elementary school kids, when they think of farming, they think of, you know, when they think of that, they just think of going to Publix to the produce aisle, Okay. And so you go into Publix and you get bananas and you get apples. And then one of my favorite things to get, which is so crazy expensive, are cherries. Anybody like cherries when you go there? I love them. But they're like $100 a pound. <laughs> and so you, you, you get a bag and, and you put them in the scale and you see, is it one pound, two pound, three pound, et cetera. And then, then how much it weighs is how much it's valued. And so what he's saying here is the value that you put on what you hear tells a lot about you. The measure that you measure will be measured to you. 
And so the value you put on the gospel and the good news of the, of the gospel and the, the amount that you share of what you know is going to be ultimately what matters. And so he, he kind of illustrates this further in verse 22. He's, verse 25, he says, to the one who has, more will be given. So if you listen well and you receive the truth of the gospel well and you share that which you've heard, then you'll have more truth revealed. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you refuse to listen, if you reject the truth, if you do not share what has been given to you, then the little that you have will be taken away. And so what Jesus is saying is this, in the kingdom, it's not just what you get that matters. It's what you use of what you have received that matters. It's how much you give out. Like so many of us are, we're, we, you know, the, you come to church and, and, and we're so enthralled with ourselves by how much we know about God and how much we know about God's word. And, and, and we have degrees. Some of you maybe have gone to seminary and you have more degrees than a thermometer and when it comes to seminary and, and you have all this head knowledge and, and you've had all these experiences and Jesus is saying, that's great, but what good is it if you have all this stuff if you're not giving it out? See, in the kingdom, you're going to be judged not by what you've received, but what you give. See, the more you give out to others, Jesus is saying, the more you will receive to give out. And so in God's economy, fullness comes by only being empty. Hoarders have less and givers have more. So when it comes to knowledge, your knowledge of the kingdom comes and grows by giving the knowledge you have away. Isn't that something? Think about it. That seems kind of oxymoron. It seems weird. I give and I get more. In our culture, our American culture, our consumeristic culture, here's the motto of our day. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. <laughs> and then poison the rest. Well, in the upside down kingdom, it is give all you can because the way to fullness in God's economy is through emptying yourself. And so Jesus is saying those who share have more to share and those who don't share end up having less to share. Now, this is counterintuitive because our culture is all geared about getting more and more and more. But we can see this played out, I think, in two ways arenas. One arena we see this played out in practical life is just through interpersonal relationships with other people. And so if you look to someone else to meet all of your needs, to fulfill all of your desires, then here's what you're going to find. If you're looking for that, you will not get your needs met because no one can meet all your needs. So if you enter into a relationship with someone just so you can get from them, you're going to end up getting nothing that you really want. And, and really, it's not going to work out. But if you enter into a relationship in, in which you are looking not for what you can get out of that relationship, for, but what you can give to that relationship and to that person, you will find satisfaction and fulfillment. You know, we're seeing that played out here in our church. The more you realize that in the past week and a half, the past 10 days, we have mobilized more volunteers than often we do in an entire year. We've been able to do in the past 10 days, we have mobilized almost 2,500 people to go out and literally be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I've never met anyone who went out serving and genuinely served, come back upset because they served. 
they all come back excited and fulfilled because when they look beyond themselves and look to what they could give someone else, they found joy. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an upside down kingdom. And for those of you right now that are struggling in your marriage, think about these kingdom principles. If you are only thinking of your marriage in terms of what you can get out of it, if you're only thinking of your marriage about you, you're going to end up being unhappy and miserable because no one can satisfy your heart. But if you enter into marriage on what you can do to bless your spouse and, and, and serve your spouse, you will find that you will, you will be satisfied and fulfilled in your marriage. Now, some of you think, well, all right, so that's relationships. So the other thought is, well, then is Jesus here talking about money? Because some people will use this verse and say, well, hey, here's what you do. Jesus is a cosmic slot machine. You put more money in, you get more money out. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The more money I give to the church, the more money I get in my account. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. If it was, we'd probably be doing a lot more giving around here, right? <laughs> Here's what he's teaching, that when you give of your financial resources, and I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you. I'm probably sure that some of you are members of this church and you've never given anything to this church. I wanna challenge you, if you've never given anything to this church, not just because of this church, but to the kingdom, I wanna challenge you to do that this week. But not so that you get more money. It's not, so, all right, I'm gonna give 10 bucks and so I'm hoping I get 1,000. I'm gonna plant a seed so I can get more money. Because that's not how it works. What Jesus is saying here is that when you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure to the things of God, you're gonna get something that's greater than you can imagine. You're gonna get greater riches. But here's the paradox. The paradox is this, and it's so strange. If you give to get, you don't get. But if you give to give, then God will bless you with more to give. Again, we've seen that play out the past 10 days in our church, almost two weeks. The more we give out to our community, the more we give out to the people in need, the more we do, the more it seems like God just continues to bless us with things we don't deserve. And so that's, those are the practical things, money and relationships. But let me just go one more thing because I really want to make sure y'all got to give sermon. And here's what I want to say. What Jesus is saying is this, you get out what you put in. Some people I know you just come to church once or twice a month. As a matter of fact, sometimes we just kind of wonder, all right, well, they came this week, so they won't see them for another two or three weeks. It's just kind of like, well, you know, some, some sort of thing mentally is like, well, I came this week, so I got two or three weeks, and then I can come back. But here's what I found with people. If you just come to church, you just kind of creep in and creep out. You're not involved in a group. You're not serving others. You're not, you're not sharing with others then you're missing out on what, what, what God really wants to give you. Are you just a consumer? See, Jesus says it's an upside down kingdom. It's the opposite of the world. See, in God's kingdom, the way up is down and the way you gain influence is by serving others. And happiness is not found by trying to be happy, but happiness is found by working for the joy of others. In God's kingdom, freedom comes through surrender. In God's kingdom, you find yourself by losing yourself. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are those things that are gonna be added to you? All the things that everyone worries about in the world, all the things that you worry about 
you don't have to worry about because if you make the kingdom of God your primary focus, if you, if you give to give, not give to get, then everything that you need, God's going to provide in the upside down kingdom. C.S. Lewis ends his book, Mere Christianity, by, by giving, I think, one of the greatest paragraphs C.S. Lewis ever wrote. And here's what he said. He said, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Every, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. Do you see it? Upside down kingdom. The kingdom of God is not about what you get, but about what you use of what you've received. And number two, the kingdom is not just what you do, but who you work for. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like a man, as if a man scattered seed on the ground. So now he's gone back to farming. So you have a farmer plants seeds in the soil, goes to bed, gets up in the morning, goes to bed, gets up in the morning. And in time, those seeds begin to sprout. Those sprouts begin to create plants. Those plants end up bearing fruit. And this happens. And what I love about this is Jesus says he knows not how. It's not that the farmer is dumb. It's just that he's amazed at how this seed that he planted in time can produce the fruit that it produces. He doesn't understand the miracle of farming. But yet what, he, what Jesus says in verse 28 is he says that the earth produces by itself. That word by itself is the Greek word autome. Uh, it's, we get our word automatically from it. So he just goes to bed. He gets up in the morning and he really doesn't have to do much. I mean, you say, well, he's a farmer, so he may have to kind of hoe out the grass to get the weeds out or have to water it. But really, he doesn't do anything. All he does is watch what happens. He plants the seed, he watches it grow, and he harvests the produce. And so here he's saying the kingdom of God is like that. That there's a great harvest that's coming. That even though the farmer is sowing seed, he doesn't necessarily understand how it's going to happen. Now, when the Jewish ears heard the day of harvest and the sickle, it reminded them of Joel chapter 3, which speaking of the day of separation, the day of judgment that separated the wheat and the chaff. And, and what Jesus is saying is that when you plant the gospel seed, the gospel seed will do the gospel work and there will be those who enter into the kingdom. And so how does the kingdom grow? How do people come into the kingdom? Jesus is teaching through this parable. People enter into the kingdom and the kingdom grows not because of the hard work or the ingenuity of the farmer. People come into the kingdom because of the power of the seed that is sown. It's God who does the work. And so God is the one who's growing his kingdom. He doesn't need you or me to make that happen. And we see that explicitly shared with us when Jesus talks about the farmer who goes to sleep. And if you compare the farmer with God, and if you compare the, with us with God, one of the things that we're going to note of many differences that we have between you and I and God is that God does not sleep. We do. 
and we need sleep. And some of us need beauty sleep. But God, Isaiah chapter 40 says, is the everlasting God. He doesn't grow faint or weary. Psalm 121 says that the Lord does not slumber nor sleep. And every time you go to bed, you are doing something theological. Every time you go to sleep, you're saying something theological. And what is that? Here's what you're saying. God is God and I am not. Because every time you go to sleep, it's a reminder that you are not God. And so what he's saying here is that the kingdom of God has a king. And that king is King Jesus. And King Jesus is more concerned about his kingdom than we are. And he is always growing and advancing his kingdom. And he doesn't need us. We desperately need him. But yet sometimes we have this struggle. This struggle with a Messiah complex. A thinking that the future of things is ultimately dependent upon me. And we can even translate that into Christianity and, and have this mindset that the future of Christianity is dependent upon what I do for God. Well, listen, we don't grow God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, uh, George Ladd, who wrote extensively in the 20th century about the kingdom of God, and I can't give this quote verbatim, but basically he says, when you read what God's word says about the kingdom of God, we enter into the kingdom, we enjoy the kingdom, we live in the light of the kingdom, we experience the kingdom, we are part of the kingdom. But the one th verbs that you will not find ever in the New Testament is that we grow the kingdom, build the kingdom, or even advance the kingdom, because that's God's job. And so we only get the privilege of joining him in his kingdom work. You know, sometimes churches can idolize uh, gifted people in the church. And so sometimes we can idolize pastors. We can idolize staff members. We can idolize group leaders. We can idolize workers or servants in the church. And that, that's something that's not new. But what you have to understand is that everybody that's a part of anybody, any leadership organization in this church, we're all replaceable. Every one of us, because this isn't the pastor's church. This isn't the staff's church. This isn't the deacon's church. This is the Lord's church. And he builds his church. And we can sleep at night knowing that he builds his church. And Paul had to deal with this with the church of Corinth because they turned into pastor worshipers. And, and what Jesus, or what, what, what Paul says is there were some that were following Apollos, that great young preacher. There were some that were following Peter. There were some that were following Paul. But here's what Paul says about that. He says, in verse chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, he says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who, give, who gives the growth. The only one that matters is God who gives the growth, right? So what does that mean to all of us in this room? Is that God is not after our greatness. He is after our faithfulness. See, the people of Israel in Jesus' day expected God's kingdom to come as a result of their hard work and effort. They didn't realize is that it was only through God's effort. See, God is not looking for spectacular farmers, but he's looking for people who obediently, patiently, faithfully do their job and leave the consequences to God. See, this parable reminds us that the power is not found in the soil. The power is not found in the sower. The power is found in the seed of the gospel. And our job, every Christian in this room, your responsibility is to be like that farmer and spread the seed of the gospel, but yet let the seed do its work and trust the results to God. You know, when I was a kid, my parents wanted to teach me how to 
do a garden. And so we bought green bean, got, bought green bean things, plants, and uh, tomato seeds. And did, we, we bought green bean. As you can tell, they did a great job, right? Um, <laughs> we bought tomato seeds. And so we were going to plant from seed tomatoes to create plants so that you have tomatoes. Or as we say in Kentucky, maters. Amen. Amen. If you ever ha- listen, if let, let he who hears, let him hear or she, have you ever had white bread, tomato and mayonnaise? That's what we say in the South, a mater sandwich. Amen. Amen. Let the hear hear. And if you use the miracle whip on there, then let the hear really hear. Okay. I don't know why I told you that, but I did. So anyway, so we were, we were planting seeds and my parents wanted to teach me. So we got this little, little pot and, and potting soil and we put the seeds in there and we put a little water on there. My dad says, just wait, something will grow. Just wait, be patient. And so the next day I came out, there was nothing, just dirt. Came out the next day, nothing, dirt. So I thought, well, you know, my dad watered it. Maybe that'll be the trick. And so I got one of those big pitchers of water. You remember like when you used to make Kool-Aid in the house? Big old pitchers of water. So I filled it all the way to the brim and poured it into that, uh, that little pot with potting soil and those seeds. Felt so satisfied. Got up the next day thinking that there's going to be something. Guess what? Nothing. So guess what I did? The same thing over again. And I poured the water on. Guess what? The next day, nothing. Guess what I did? Yep. About two weeks later, I give up. I mean, I've already, my attention is gone. I did look at the pot and I said, like, Dad, why didn't the seed grow? Were these like defective seeds? And no, my dad looked at me and says, you drowned the seed. <laughs> you got to let the seed do its job. The same is true with us. Listen, church, we don't have to manipulate people. We don't have to beg people. We, we don't have to try to do some sort of sleight of hand or carrot and stick. We just share the gospel seed and let the gospel seed do the work. And the reason why we struggle is because we like control. We like things to go on our timetable. Anybody else? I mean, just put other things in your life. I mean, how many of you, you think in your mind, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me and I want my will done on earth And I want it all to be about my timing because my timing is better. But the kingdom of God is ultimately about obeying the king and leaving the consequences to him. Third thing we see here is that the kingdom is not just what you see, but how you see it. Here we have this parable in verse 30. He says, what should we compare the kingdom? It's like a grain of mustard seed. Now this isn't like, don't think like you go to like mustard, mustard. This is a particular plant, a mustard plant. I know that's confusing, but don't, this is not a mustard plant or mustard. Like you get like out of your refrigerator mustard. This is a little seed, but this is one of itty bitty teeny weeny seeds. And yet Jesus says it grows to be one of the largest plants it can grow up to three to nine feet in, in height. But on the outside, that little bitty seed seems so insignificant, and so small, but yet that little bitty seed has the potential of explosive growth. Why does Jesus tell us that? Because the popular view of the kingdom in Jesus' day was that when the kingdom of God comes on the earth, it's gonna be instant, it's gonna be huge, it's gonna be shocking, it's gonna be epic, and it's gonna be exciting. But Jesus says that the kingdom is modest at the beginning, 
culminating in an astonishing, glorious ending. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't underestimate how the kingdom starts. Don't believe that what seems to be unimpressive, insignificant, and small is going to stay that way. The kingdom of God has a deceptively small beginning, but an epic ending. What does that teach to us today? It teaches us this. We should not despise the small things. See, in our culture, we want everything to be big. We want hype. We want momentum. We think bigger is bitter, bigger. We, we want speed and size and success. But God's kingdom often starts small and simple. Do you realize that some of the greatest movements of God and some of the greatest churches in the world started with small, humble beginnings? A husband and wife praying? A couple of families gathering. Do you know that in, in 1945, in the spring of 1945, a guy named Joe Engel and his wife and his young son left their church in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and moved all the way down to Naples, Florida to plant a new church. Their first meeting in this sleepy fishing village was in a shed behind a grocery store. Could you imagine how many people want to come to the shed? Could you imagine if I just said, hey, we're going to plant a church that's in a shed and no AC? Yeah, it's just probably be me and my wife and my kids. And I would probably have an issue with my kids coming, right? <laughs> They'd be like, I don't know, it's so hot. They met there for a year in the shed. And at the end of the year, they had 24 people attending. And today we have thousands of people who worship every weekend because of Joe Engel and his wife and young son. And I believe the best is yet to come. See, Jesus says that when the seed is sown, it grows up and it grows into a large plant. And this plant is so big that the birds of the air take their nest. Now you're like, what's he have to do with birds? This, when Jesus says this, the Jewish ears perked because this birds perching in a tree is a quotation of the prophets. The prophets prophesied, Ezekiel and Daniel, namely, that there would be a great tree in the future. And this great tree would connect heaven and earth. It's kind of like Jacob's ladder. It's like a stairway to heaven. <laughs> and so it would be so huge that the nations of the earth would perch on its branches in its shade. And so what he was talking about was that when the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom of God would connect heaven and earth back together again. See, when God created the world and everything in it, he came down and he literally dwelt among men. And in that moment, there was no sin. And in his presence was the fullness of joy and human flourishing. Like every fairy tale, every happily ever after, every Willy Wonka chocolate bar, all of that was pales in comparison to the joy and the fullness that the world experienced in that moment. But when sin entered into the world and Adam and Eve rebelled against their king, God removed man from his presence. And from that came misery and sadness and sorrows and death. And so the kingdom of God is the is the restoration movement of what was lost and broken by sin. And so Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is coming in to restore what was lost. 
And that even though you don't see it, even though it doesn't seem impressive, even though it seems insignificant, it is here, but it's not fully here. But one day when it is fully here, everything sad is going to be untrue. There will be instant access to God. There will be no night. There will be no pain. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no hurricanes. All will be right. All will be well. He will wipe every tear from their eye. He will be their God and we will be his people and never will we be separated from his love. But it started with 12 dumb men and one awesome king. See, the kingdom of God has a small beginning, but a big ending. And what does this teach us? Stay with me. It teaches us that what you and I think is small and what you and I think is insignificant is not in God's kingdom. See, the kingdom of God has to be evaluated on kingdom terms. Have many of you ever said, not necessarily out loud, but in your mind, it's not worth it to pray. It's too much effort. That act isn't really gonna make a difference. Why should I even worry? I'm just throwing good money away. But here's what you have to understand. In the kingdom of God, every prayer that is prayed, every seed that is sown, every person that is reached, every lesson that is taught, every act of service that is given, and every penny that is donated has the power and potential of changing the world for Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom of God has a small beginning, but a huge big ending. Well, let me end. The Bible says in verse 33 that with such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. In other words, Mark says this is just a sampling of the stories Jesus told. Wouldn't it be awesome to have heard the stories of Jesus? But to the outsider, they were just stories. But to the insider, they were truths that changed lives and destinies. You know, I told you I was at Disney for a couple of days. You know, all throughout the parks, there are these signs that you, if you don't know about them, then you don't know. But if you know about them, then you know, all right? And they're called hidden Mickeys. And they represent Mickey Mouse. It's kind of a subtle thing that the Imagineers put all throughout the parks that they're either on the ride or they're in the decor. Uh, some are easier to find than others, but once you've seen one, you can start seeing them everywhere. You know why they put them in the park? The Imagineers put them first in Epcot. The reason why they did that is to remind people who the main character of Disney is, Mickey Mouse. You know, the stories, these kingdom stories, Jesus told them, and all of these kingdom stories pointed to the one who told them the stories. <laughs> because all the stories were about him. And, and the way the kingdom grows is by telling the stories about Jesus. I mean, we see that in these parables, that Jesus is the lamp who is the light of the world who shone in the darkness of our hearts and revealed our need for him. Jesus is the measure who weighs and judges our hearts. The more we value him, the more we get of him. 
Jesus is the seed that went into the earth after his crucifixion, but three days later rose triumphantly out of the grave as a first fruits for all who believe. Jesus is the tree of life who is the mediator and bridge between God and man, heaven and earth. Jesus did not come in strength, but he came in smallness. He humbled himself to the point of death so that by it, we may live in the shade of his protection. Wow. So here's how we're going to end. Either Jesus is king or he is not. If he is not king, then you can do whatever you want to do because he can't do anything to stop it. But if he is king, then we must do whatever he wants. And we do not come to him with negotiations. He is not our co-pilot, nor is he our life coach. He is our king. See, in ancient days, when a soldier pledged his allegiance to the king, they would offer their sword if you've ever seen this, the soldier would kneel sword in hand and the, the handle of the sword would be towards the king and the blade of the sword would be towards the soldier. In pledging their loyalty, they were showing in that sign that they offered their life in the service to their king and that they trusted the king with their lives. And you would never offer your sword to the king unless you truly trusted the king with the sword. My question to you is this. Do you trust the king? Have you surrendered to the king? And have you publicly made your surrender known through public profession, through baptism? Are you living for the king? If you've pledged your loyalty to him, if you've publicly proclaimed that through baptism, then are you living your life for the king? Because it's not what you get, it's what you use. It's not what you do, it's who you work for. And it's not what you see, but it's how you see it. Because he's the king. He's the king of kings. And my prayer, he's your king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the gospel of your, of your son. And we pray, God, that your kingdom would come. And it would come deep inside of all of our lives. That your reign would roll deep so that we would say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Father, I pray for anyone who hasn't surrendered their life to you that today would be that day of surrender. And if there's those who have surrendered but not made it public, God, would they make that decision to take that next step and as soon as possible, publicly proclaim it through baptism. And those who have publicly proclaimed it through baptism, may they live in the light of this gospel and may they understand that your grace is enough to carry them each and every day. Father, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you. Spirit, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing about the King. Praise King Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.